So there are a lot of really weird new game shows that I have seen on TV in recent weeks. Maybe you've seen some of these. Um, there's a game show, I think it's about like how fast you can shop in a grocery store, which doesn't sound fun to me. There's a game show, where it's like giant Jenga, where you have to pull things out or the tower falls. Um, but the game show that I am maybe a little bit taken with, just a little bit taken with, is a show called Is It Cake? Has anybody seen the show, Is It Cake? Okay, a few of you. So, Is It Cake has a very simple premise. Um, they bring forth a whole bunch of things, and one of them is a cake, and you have to figure out which one is cake and which one is not, all right? So, if you've not seen this before, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wet your whistle, and I'm going to give you a test, all right? So, we're going to show you uh, about uh, six items, and then we're going to stop the video, and you're going to see if you know which one is cake, all right? Let's roll it. You know how this works. The cake wall is going to spin around. You'll see six different items that you'd find on a shopping spree. Five of them are real, and one of them, don't freak out, is cake. Oh, cake wall, spin for me, please. Each of you has your keypad, and you'll have 20 seconds to lock in your answer. The baker who finds it first gets first pick of the item they want to replicate. And your 20 seconds starts now. There they go. 15 seconds. Interesting. Ten seconds? I have no idea. Five, four, three, two, one. Okay. Uh, now, you have to tell me. If, you ha if you've seen this episode, don't give it away. If you've not, um, anybody have an opinion about what was cake? The shoe? Anybody else? What's that? The blue purse? The, the red purse, okay. The shoe, okay, all right. The, the bag, the, which bag? The blue bag, okay. All right. Uh, good, all really good guesses. Um, I'll, I'm going to show you which one it was, okay. Will you just play that next clip? Okay, so there you go. By the way, if you said shoe, um, one of the contestants on the show picked shoe as well, and he tried cutting it with a knife, but it was a shoe, so it, it didn't work, yeah. Um, okay, uh, really silly uh, game show, <laughs> really silly game show. Um, but, but here's the thing, right? The, the, the premise of this show is, can we look and see um, what is food and what is not, right? Can we look and see what's good to eat and what's not? Isn't that exactly what this story in Genesis is about? Right? Can we look and see what's good to eat and what is not? Now, in fact, it's our looking and seeing that the author of Genesis keeps coming back to to emphasize. Um, did you notice that we were told um, this is um, the, the woman and the serpent having this conversation, and the serpent says, your eyes will be opened? And the woman saw the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes. Um, boy, this, this fruit looks really good, right? And we're trying to figure out, is it, is it good or is it not? Is it cake or is it a shoe, right? And 
I love this idea um, that we want to believe we can tell, right? We want to believe that we can look at the world around us and see what's good and what's not, what's food and what's not, what's cake and what's not. Um, but we're, we're not great at it. No offense, but a lot of you guys pick shoes, right? So last week we talked about this idea that the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is an invitation for us to say, will we take God's job from Him and, and will we be the ones who decide what's good and what's bad, rather than letting God decide what's good and what's bad? And I said last week that all sin on some level comes back to this central idea that, that we want to usurp God's role in defining what's good and what's not good. But here, this morning, in this passage in Genesis, we get a, a little more of a perspective of, of how this works, about how we get this wrong. Uh, and I hope you notice the temptation is explicit, right? The serpent says, you will be like God, knowing good and evil, right? That's the temptation. Wouldn't it be great to have God's job and get to know and decide what's good and what's not good for ourselves? Uh, and, and we're told, there's this really interesting line, um, we're told that the woman looks at it and sees that it's good. Do you guys remember who's been looking at things and seeing they were good so far in the story of Genesis? God, right? And God saw that it was good. Actually, in the, in the um, Hebrew phraseology, it's identical. In the, the Hebrew is uh, ra'ah Elohim kitov, right? Um, and God saw that it was good. And in this sentence, it's ra'ah isha kitov, the woman saw that it was good. So interesting that even before they take the fruit and they eat it, they've already sinned right? And they've already taken God's job from Him. They've already said, no, God, you don't get to decide what's good and what's not good. We're going to do that. You said this fruit is bad, but we think it looks delicious, right? Uh, and so, before they eat, they've already started on this path of sin. Uh, and, and we get this very simple pattern that I think all sin, um, as we see going forward in Genesis, kind of is going to fall into, Right? They see that it's good, and they take it. They see that it's good, and they take it. You're going to see that exact same language again and again in Genesis. You're going to see it in chapter 6 um, when the children of God um, see that the daughters of men are good and take them. You're going to see it in uh, Genesis 12 when the Pharaoh sees that Sarai is, is good, is beautiful, and he takes her, right? Uh, and this idea that it's our seeing… Um, and our desire to define what's good with our eyes that leads us into this pattern of sin is really fundamental throughout the story of Scripture. And I think it's fundamental in our lives, right, that, that we just fall into this trap all the time. We see something, we think it's good, we take it. All kinds of reasons why um, we struggle to see what's really good the way God sees it. Um, one really just basic reason for that is um, what I often call sort of the short-term versus the long-term. Right? When, when we see good, we tend to see short-term good, right? Ooh, that's a fruit. It looks delicious. I bet it would taste really good. Um, God tends to see long-term good, right? What's going to be good for us um, in a year or 50 years or 10,000 years? And, and I think this is a, a common 
I mean, it's a common feeling in my life, probably a common feeling in your life, um, that the short-term stuff seems more urgent and more attractive and more good than the long-term stuff. I know I should probably exercise tonight, um, but that doesn't look good to me. What looks good to me is watching football all evening, and so instead of exercising, I'm going to watch football and watch them exercise. Um, And the short-term is really enjoyable, right? But the long-term isn't good for me. Uh, this, this plays out in all kinds of ways in our lives, right? Um, being in a long-term committed marriage is really hard, and it requires compromise and sacrifice and all this effort that I don't want to expend. So rather than doing that, uh, I'm just going to have a fling with somebody. I'm just going to find some pictures online. I'm just going to find some other way to meet those needs that doesn't require all that hard work. Uh, I, I know that it would be really good for me um, if I could commit to um, raising my kids to be successful and I want them to have good grades and I want them to um, get into good schools and go to good, uh, get good careers and all that stuff is great. But at the end of the day, um, wanting my children to be successful is a short-term good. Wanting my kids to be spiritual is a long-term good. Um, one of those will last a lifetime. One of those will last forever. Uh, and, and I think this habit that we fall into of, of um, seeing good in, in these sort of short-term bite-sized increments instead of the long-term goods that God sees is one of, not the only way, but one of the ways that we struggle. Uh, Paul talks about this in Romans. Paul says in Romans chapter 7 that he struggles to see good and do the good he wants to do. And he says, boy, the bad stuff that I don't want to do, I find myself doing. And the good stuff that I really want to do, I find myself not doing. What the heck is going on with me? And, And part of the answer is, well, we struggle, right? Because when we are the arbiters of what's good and when we are trusting our eyes to tell us what's good, we take over God's role, and we sin. Um, by the way, I, I think the temptation to see for ourselves what's good is profound when it comes to things, but it's even more scary when it comes to people. I, I think we have a real temptation in our lives to see and decide what people are good or bad. Uh, and, and, and boy, we maybe don't do this on purpose, but it's kind of hard to avoid it sometimes, isn't it? That we see people… Now, I'm not saying there's no sin. Of course there's sin. And I'm not saying that, you know, you, you can't be arrested and go to jail. I, I'm just saying um, that we tend to make judgments about people's goodness. And that's kind of a scary place to go. Uh, I, I read a really interesting book this summer um, by Arthur Brooks called Love Your Enemies. Uh, And in it, um, he quotes a story, uh, a a research study that was done in 2014. He says, researchers at Northwestern University, Boston College, and the University of Melbourne published an article uh, in a prestigious academic journal. The subject was human conflict due to motive attribution asymmetry. Say that three times fast motive attribution asymmetry, the phenomenon of assuming that your ideology is based in love while your opponent's ideology is based in hate. 
The researchers found that a majority of Republicans and Democrats today suffer from a level of motivation attribution asymmetry that is comparable to that of Palestinians and Israelis. In both cases, the two sides think they are driven by benevolence, while the other side is evil and motivated by hate. Therefore, neither side is willing to negotiate or compromise. As a result, the authors found political conflict between American Democrats and Republicans and ethno-religious conflict between Israelis and Palestinians seem intractable despite the availability of reasonable compromise solutions in both cases. What they're saying is um, we look at other people who don't agree with us and we say, hey, it's not that I don't agree with your ideas, it's that you are bad. We, we can't even look at shoes and handbags and tell what's food and what isn't. Right? Who are we to look at people and decide who's good and who's not? And, and, and I think this is a, a fundamental challenge for us. I think this is exactly where the enemy wants to take us. He wants to take us to a place where we take over God's job, where we get to decide what things and what people are tov and what things and what people are ra, rather than asking God to tell us all of that stuff. So uh, come back to Genesis with me for a minute. Um, we have this um, temptation moment and Eve and Adam eat the fruit. Uh, and then um, we're told that um, they, their eyes are opened, they realize they're naked, they make clothes for themselves, so they're hiding from each other, and then they hear God coming and they hide from God. Uh, and, oh, by the way, just as a fun fact, um, we're, we're told that they hide from God um, in, in, amidst the trees of the garden. Uh, as we've been reading this story, um, there's a, a place, the middle of the garden, um, Batokagan, which is where the tree of knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life are located, right? It's like the middle of the garden. And, and actually, our English translation isn't very good here. Um, what the Hebrew says is they, they hide amidst the trees in the middle of the garden. Um, so it's literally like they've just eaten from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and then God comes and like, they go hide behind that same tree. You ever done this with your dog? One time, my family and I went out to eat dinner. And we came back, and our, we had a Rottweiler. This was when I was a kid. We had a Rottweiler, like a black and tan dog. We came back home, and the whole kitchen was covered in flour. And the dog was covered in flour. He was white. Um, and he looked at us with the most innocent expression, like, I have no idea how this happened. <laughs> now, this is what's happening, right? They are, they are literally hiding behind the tree that they just ate from. God, we don't know what happened. We don't know how this got here. Um, but what's really important is not their response, right? What's really important is God's response. God comes looking for them. God doesn't abandon them. God doesn't say, hey, you screwed up. I'm done with you. God comes looking for them. Uh, and then do you notice He actually asks questions. So first He asks the man, um, and the man responds in really typically masculine fashion, right? Well, it's your fault, God. Also, it's her fault. Definitely not my fault. Um, so the, He points the blame everywhere. But God this is really important. God already knows everything, right? He asks the question because He wants the man involved in what comes next. And then He asks the woman the same question or a similar question, and she's a little bit more honest. She doesn't at least blame God, and she does say, the serpent tricked me and I did it. Um, uh, and God already knows that too, right? You notice who does not get a question asked of them? Yeah, the, God doesn't ask the serpent anything. Why? 
Because this whole part of the story is about God saying, despite your sin, despite the ways you've messed up, I'm not done with you yet, right? I'm going to work on a solution. I'm going to find a way to restore our relationship um, because I think there's still some future for us together. God doesn't feel that way about the serpent, right? But He feels that way about us. By the way, and, and this is um, overwhelmingly important, um, whatever you have done this week or in this life, whatever has been done to you, um, whatever ways that um, you have fallen into temptation and tried to decide for yourself what things or what people were good and bad, um, just like in the garden, God still comes looking for you. God still looks at you and says, despite everything, you are tov to me. You are good to me. So good that I'm going to send my son for you. And then there's no way you can lose that. There's nothing that you can do that can take that away from you. God thinks that you are tov. So um, we get the story of God coming to find us in, in the life and person of Jesus. Uh, and in this fourth chapter of Matthew, Jesus shows up. And it's, I hope you saw, it's almost the inverse of the garden. Right in the garden, you have this beautiful, lush place full of um, beautiful food and fruit and water and rivers and life and goodness. And then Jesus is out in the, in the desert, right? He's in the wilderness and the dry land with nothing. And Adam and Eve get tempted by the serpent and Jesus gets tempted by the devil. Um, but whereas Adam and Eve um, give in to the idea that perhaps they know better than God what is and isn't good for them. Jesus resists all the temptation of the enemy without ever using His divine power. He just does exactly what we can do, exactly what Adam and Eve should have done. He just tells the enemy what God has told him and says, I believe God. I believe God. And because Jesus didn't fall, we who are in Christ can also stand through temptation um, if we walk by faith and not by sight. Uh, and this is the invitation that Paul gives us in Corinthians, to walk by faith and not by sight. To say, yeah, as I look around this world, there are things that look really good to me, but I'm not going to trust that my eyes are right. I'm going to trust uh, that God's Word is right, and I'm going to see what His Word says about those things. There are people in this world that look really bad to me, but I'm going to trust God's Word and not my eyes, and I'm going to say, you know what? Christ died for them. They may be broken, but I'm broken too. They may be a sinner, but I'm a sinner too. Um, but Christ died for them. Uh, and, and this idea that, that because Christ stood, we too can stand means that we have this incredible ability to actually see as God sees, to actually see what's good and what's not good, not judging by ourselves, um, but allowing Christ to direct us. Uh, I, I heard a, a great story, um, also by Arthur Brooks in his Love Your Enemies book. Uh, he tells a story of a rally that happened on September 16th, 2017 in Washington, D.C. There was, uh, um, I forgot, I think it was called the Mother of All Rallies was the name of the rally, but it was a, a pro-Trump rally happening in D.C. Um, and then there was an anti um uh, I don't know, there, was a, there was a protest movement that came that was a Black Lives Matter protest movement that came. Uh, and and the, the 
the rally people and the Black Lives Matter people kind of started going at it, right? And it looked like it might end up being violent. And we had seen some similar violence like that in our country, other places. Um, but then something incredible happened. Uh, the, the leader of the, the rally that was going on, his name was Tommy Hodge. Tommy Hodge um, walked up to the leader of the Black Lives Matter um, folks that were there, whose name was Hawk Newsom, and he said, um, I would love to give you two minutes for you to come up on our stage and share your message with my audience. And the Black Lives Matter guy was like, are you sure? Because I don't think we have the same message. He was like, yeah, because here's the deal. Even though we might not agree on a lot of these topics, um, I think you have a right to be heard just like we have a right to be heard, and I want to invite you to come up and share your message. So, Hawk Newsom gets up on the stage next to Tommy, uh, and they, he shares his message, and he talks about being an American. He talks about being a Christian. He says some of his, you know, political beliefs that were important to him. Uh, and then afterwards, um, a lady from the crowd gets up, and she gives him a little flag, uh, and he waves the flag, and they all start cheering together. And um, then he comes off the stage, and he says, I've never experienced anything like this before, um, but... Uh, this leader of a 4,000-person militia came up to me after I got off stage, and he, he bandaged my hand, which had been cut, and he said, hey, I really knew that we had some things in common before, but now I'm, you really solidified that. Thank you for what you shared. And then the leader of, uh, one of the leaders of Bikers for Trump came over to this Black Lives Matter guy and said, hey, um, would you take a picture with my son? And so um, this protester and this biker guy and his chaps and his leather stuff um, and this sweet little six-year-old blonde kid took a picture together, right? And, and event, an event after that, um, these things kept happening where, where all of a sudden these folks that were diametrically opposed politically found themselves looking at each other and, and kind of loving each other not agreeing all of a sudden, but, but respecting. Um, by the way, this event didn't make it on a national media, surprise, surprise, um, but 57 million people watched it on YouTube. And uh, it's, it's striking to me um, what can happen with people that disagree so passionately if we'll just look at each other and say, you are tov. You are tov. I don't agree with everything that you think. You don't agree with everything that I think. We can argue passionately, but fundamentally, you are tov. Right? You are good because God made you good. And I think this is our fundamental task as Christians, um, to trust Jesus and let Him tell us what's good and what's not, who's good and who's not, and to see the people in our world as, as, as tov, as worthy of God's love. There's a, a song I love by a band called Cademan's Call. The song is called 40 Acres, and um, the end of the song says, I get turned around, and I mistake my happiness for blessing. And I'm blessed as the poor, still I judge success by how I'm dressing. So keep on coming with these lines on the road. Keep me responsible, be it light or heavy load. Keep me guessing with these blessings in disguise, and I'll walk with grace my feet and faith my eyes. That's my prayer for us this week, that when we are tempted to look at things or people 
and judge for ourselves if they are good or bad. Instead, we'll come back to Christ and ask Him to make grace our feet and faith our eyes and trust uh, that who He says and what He says is tov, is truly tov. May it be so. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.